In today's gospel, Jesus sends out a group of disciples on a mission. You may recall that earlier in Luke, Jesus sent out the 12 to preach and to heal. Now he sends out a group of 70 on a similar mission. This story is probably supposed to make us think of the 70 elders that God told Moses to appoint to help share his ministry during the wilderness wandering. After God rescued them from slavery in Egypt, he provided manna for them to eat, but they got tired of it. They remembered what they ate in Egypt, the fish, the melons, the cucumbers, the leeks, and they started complaining against Moses. And after a while, Moses got fed up. He experienced ministry burnout. He was ready to give up shepherding the flock of Israel and go back to shepherding sheep. Well, God told Moses to appoint 70 elders. God gave them a share of his spirit so that they could share the burden of ministry and Moses wouldn't have to bear it alone. In a similar way, Jesus needs to train up leaders to carry on the work after he's gone. So he appoints a larger group to share in his ministry by the Spirit. But this is not just a story about a group of 70 disciples in first century Palestine. This is the mission of the church between the two advents of Jesus. And it's even bigger than that. Since what we do in Christ is an expression of the fullness of life that God intends for humans, the mission of the church is actually what life is all about. As a result, what Jesus teaches about the mission of the 70 is also for us, and it's good news at that. Now, you have to imagine yourself among the 70 when Jesus tells you about this mission that you're to go on. His initial description does not seem all that hopeful. In fact, it seems pretty bleak. He says the mission is understaffed, dangerous, and urgent. It's understaffed. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. In other words, the field is much larger than the current group of laborers could possibly harvest. But it's not only that, it's also dangerous. I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. You can just hear the disciples say, oh good, sign me up. <laughs> lambs, of course, being completely defenseless against wolves. Not only that, it's also urgent. We are supposed, we are supposed to go out and take no purse, no bag, no sandals, greet no one on the road. In other words, there's no time for packing. You don't have that extra pair of shoes in the backpack, no suntan lotion, no preparations. Whatever you're wearing at the time, you go with that. It's that urgent. And don't greet anyone, no polite conversation. Um, where I grew up in the Northeast, if you were to say hello to someone as you passed on the street, more often than not, you'd get a strange look. <laughs> But in the ancient world, it was offensive not to greet someone when you saw them. And the only exception for that among Jews was when they were performing a religious duty. If you were saying your prayers, you didn't have to interrupt in order to greet someone. So Jesus is saying, this mission takes precedence over all your normal social obligations. It's understaffed and it's, and it's dangerous. As gloomy as this initial description might seem, there are some glimmers of hope. 
First of all, Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And we have to remember that when Jesus tells us to ask God for something, that's prayer, right? He also says, ask and you will receive, or those who ask, receive. So this is not just some sort of plea for help at the last minute, but this is a prayer to God where we are assured that God will hear our prayer and supply what we need in terms of workers to go alongside us. He also sent that 70, it says, where he himself intended to go. And it's easy to miss that, but that's an important point because it means that when we go out to do ministry, we, we have Jesus' promise that he intends to show up. He's going to be there in the midst of our ministry, before us and after us. And lastly, um, we focus on the laborers are few, but it starts by saying the harvest is plentiful. And remember what, the image of, what that image means, right? If the field is ripe for harvest, that means it's already, the seeds have already been planted, it's already been nurtured, it's already been watered, and the, the disciples haven't done this, right? God is doing this ahead of us, planting those seeds, watering and nurturing that growth. And when we show up, it's only after God has been working long before uh, we've even thought of going out and doing ministry. That verse, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, is actually very meaningful to me. It was important in my own call to ministry. I remember every time I heard that verse read in, in Sunday, on Sunday services, when it came up in the lectionary, or when I was reading it on my own in personal reading, Bible reading, I had a strong sense that God was speaking directly to me. It was like the Emmaus Road disciples, you know, did not your heart burn within you? Perhaps you've had a similar experience. This is actually one of the ways that God answers our prayers, by speaking to us directly through his word. Well, if these are the instructions, what's the message? Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, you might hear heal the sick and think Jesus is talking about just one narrow aspect of the church's ministry. But in fact, that phrase has a much broader sense than you might imagine. Uh, it really means something much more general, like serving or caring for anyone in their need or weakness. So it includes prayer for the sick, but it also includes any kind of ministry that we do. In fact, most of what the church does fits into that category of caring for someone, serving them in their need or weakness. And this is actually a good way of thinking about evangelism. I get to talk about evangelism two sermons in a row. This is a record of it. Um, we sometimes, sometimes you'll hear people talk about evangelism in terms of telling people about Jesus. Or on the other hand, they'll talk about evangelism as just doing acts of mercy or loving people, showing people kindness. Um, but the purest and most beautiful expressions of evangelism are when the two go hand in hand, where you have an enactment of the kingdom and a declaration of the kingdom at the same time. When you do an act of mercy and you say, I'm doing this in Jesus' name, you connect it to Jesus. Well, the other thing that we learn about this passage is that the message is not something that we get to change, right? The message that Jesus proclaimed himself is the one that he passes on to his disciples. You remember at the start of his ministry, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's precisely what he tells his disciples to say. We are charged 
not to change the message for changing times, but to be faithful stewards of the message entrusted to us by Jesus, to be faithful ministers of the apostolic deposit. So we are called to carry this message to the world in word and deed, and what result should we expect? Well, given the description of the mission that Jesus gave, understaffed, dangerous, and urgent, we probably shouldn't expect too much. Um, In fact, if you didn't know the way the story ended, you'd probably expect the disciples to come back and say, it was a failure, we (laughs) didn't do anything. But instead, of course, they come back with unexpected joy. Why is that? In the ancient world, messengers carried the full authority of the one they represented. But the disciples are surprised that Jesus is not just given them authority to speak for him, but vested them with his power, his authority to act. This power over sickness and evil is a sign of the inbreaking of God's kingdom. And that's what I think Jesus means when he says, I was watching Satan fall like lightning. If you look at the surrounding verses, it's in response to the disciples' uh, joy of, of casting out demons And Jesus is saying that he saw a glimpse of his victory over evil in and through the mission of the church. Now you might say, I don't see that happening when we act today. But every act that advances God's kingdom, however small, recovers a patch of enemy territory, even when we're not aware of it. And notice that the 70 weren't aware of it either. Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, a kind word, a caring act, treating others fairly, loving our enemies. These and countless other small and mundane acts are the sign and substance of God's kingdom in the world. When Jesus sent the disciples out, he was on his way to Jerusalem to take on the full weight of evil and win a decisive victory over sin and death. But the effects of that victory won't be completely realized until his will is done on earth as in heaven. In the meantime, the church lives as a colony of heaven, working to overcome sin and evil wherever we can, and bearing witness to the love, joy, and peace of our new life in Christ. And that's not all. As remarkable as all that is, it is nothing compared to the joy of knowing that we belong to God. Rejoice, Jesus said, not in this, but that your names are written in heaven. Let us pray. Almighty God and Lord of the harvest, the mission of your church can at times seem daunting or even dangerous. But we know that you are already at work planting the seeds and nourishing growth and that you promised to show up as we labor in your name. You have given us the remarkable message of the gospel to announce in word and deed, caring for those in our midst, overcoming evil with good, and connecting our actions to the name of Jesus. Empower us by your spirit to do this work along with the others who share this light burden and fill us with the joy of knowing that we are yours forever. All this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord.